0: Welcome to Reimagining the Contact Center, where you can learn from experts that are pioneering the most promising strategies to evolve your contact center and take your operations to new heights. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Mario Bador, the global COO at StarTech, a BPO with over 45,000 agents all across the globe. Aside being at the top of the leadership chain at a company the size of Facebook, Mario have recently led StarTech's client success team to achieving the near impossible, a 100% client retention rate throughout COVID-19. Today, we'll be talking about running an international contact center operation, the science of dialogue, and how to create a training culture in your contact center. Mario.
1: Mark, how are you?
0: I am wonderful. How are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Good to see you and um good to uh hear your voice again.
0: Good to see you too. It's uh hasn't been too long. Um but I'm excited to introduce you to, you know, Balto's podcast audience here. Um and you have an exciting background. Can you tell everyone just a little bit about yourself?
1: Thank you. Thank you. By the way, congratulations on the uh, the growth that you guys have been seeing it's uh, been following you closely it's fascinating i love the product we'll talk about that more hopefully thank but, you so uh, much I, I am i'm very excited for you mark and the team and what you guys are building um and and hopefully we'll unpack that a little bit later yeah um, i i uh, my background i spent 20 plus years in the industry um it's uh, been been fortunate to be exposed to various engagements in various parts of the world that kind of matches a little bit uh how uh, uh my fabric i guess uh, i i come from a diverse background um uh spent time in france uh, growing up um i have a, a, a lebanese heritage and italian heritage i'm canadian i live in the us so it's a little confusing for some but uh i take that and i usually apply it to uh, the business world and it works out well for me uh, it has been so far at least till till today so uh, um it's a uh, Fun industry. We're in the obviously the business process outsourcing um, uh, work for I'm the global CEO for StarTech. We've got 45,000 employees across the globe, 13 different countries, uh, and a very rich portfolio of clients that we're very proud of. Um, so it keeps me keeps me busy, to say the wow. least.
0: Wow, wow. So uh, first of all, I noticed you you went to school in Lebanon and Canada and the U.S. Was your strategy to just go to every school that uh, you have roots in?
1: Every time I got kicked out, I had to try a new one. Um, that was, that was, that was, so now I think that look, um, uh, some of some of these studies were during my professional career, and you always you always kind of have to look for um, enhancing your skills and keeping up, keeping up with the market and uh, keeping up with the industries and how uh, the world is moving. So, um, so yeah, so and I took advantage of that, and um, I try to always keep up with uh, the latest uh, and the greatest, and hopefully. Uh, be able to serve the clients better and engage in the industry in a more um, uh, intelligent way, I would say, or, or more productive way. So, um, yeah. So you always learn something when you go back and sit in the classroom, and um, at, at, uh, you get disciplined a little bit. And you, uh, there are some bad habits you pick up in the real life, and it's good to go back in front of the book and and uh, uh, recalibrate the true north, uh, for lack of better words.
0: That, that that's so interesting. It's uh, the true north it's funny because a lot of times you get to the working world and the business world and you hear, throw out everything you learned. That's not true North. And then, you know, you go to class and they say, Oh no, 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 no. Things, uh, you can do a much better job predicting and having some sort of understanding of the world, uh, using theories and academics in a classroom. You know, what, what do you think?
1: Uh, you know, it's, it's so true. And sometimes it's good to see what, um, uh, oftentimes uh, you sit in the course and you realize that gosh uh the education system needs to be reinvented a little bit yeah. because uh, that's not true that's not how it works in real life and and uh it gives you also it sparks some ideas it gives you an, an, the opportunity to rethink a little bit what else can we do in the industry as disruptors um to go back and and re-engineer that a little bit or or inject some um, um Uh, uh, disrupt the education system a little bit further and uh, oftentimes you see uh, people like us going back into a classroom and challenging some of the things that are uh, being said or how uh, it's being done and I'm I'm sure schools are positively um, uh, benefiting from uh, professional students that are coming from professional the professional workforce uh, equally as uh, us benefiting from them. So I, I see, I see a symbiotic relationship going both ways uh, when someone uh, in their adult life, go back and sit in the classroom again, because uh, your stance, your stance vis-a-vis the professors and the teachers and the curriculum is a little bit different. You're more confident and you sit and challenge it because you have examples from real life to show why this worked or this may not work.
0: Absolutely. One of the things I've noticed actually is in the contact center space in specific, um, the workforce has been getting uh, continuously more educated over time. Where you know now you know a lot of contact center workforces have uh, a bunch of folks with college degrees, or a huge portion of people with college degrees, and some um, you know, and I'd say perhaps you know a lot in the U.S. you know, don't. Uh, you know, what do you see uh, happening there with the you know the education levels of the workforce and in, in the contact center world and uh, you know, what What should we be expecting going forward?
1: You know, Mark, um, that's a very interesting question. And uh, I got to kind of step back and unpack it for you a little bit uh, because it's true and it's not. It's, uh, and, and that's a pretty sensitive topic. Uh, so let, let's talk about this a little bit. We, I think this industry, what makes it purposeful it's that we went into third world countries and created a middle class that was almost non-existent. And it's very fulfilling uh, to see a country 20 years ago that did not provide opportunities for younger the younger generation. Fast forward 20 years later, you're seeing those at the time that were kids, now they grew up, they became professionals, they've done much better than their parents They've done much be- better than some, uh, some of the rest of the country that did not provide these kind of opportunities. And you feel that you were a part of that uh, evolution. And it's very fulfilling. And it provides you a purpose as to you know, uh, why to embrace this industry further and capitalize on some of the things that we do. Now, th- th- conversely, it is not necessarily true stateside or domestically. Um unfortunately, the contact center is more of a the benefit or positive side of it. It's a good stepping stone to go into specializing later into whether IT, uh, whether um, uh, human resources, talent acquisition, management, and then you can grow within the industry and the organization and specialize and shape who you want to be later on. But it doesn't necessarily, on the onset, uh, provides you with that uh, middle-class kind of uh, living standards right away. It's a, uh, it's 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 a, it's a it's a bit rougher domestically compared to offshore markets uh, when it comes to uh, compensation. Uh, therefore, a um, individual who graduated, as you know, our colleges and schools here in the U.S. are uh, a, one of the most expensive in the world. So by the time you graduate with a college degree, et cetera, um, you probably can't afford having a call center job as an agent because you have to pay your your, your your schooling. Now you still get some of those. And now with we'll talk about that later with the at home kind of uh, uh, movement where a lot of jobs are pivoting to at home. We do have access to talent that isn't necessarily younger demographics It's much older demographics that perhaps are either veterans or, or retired or, or, or have um, uh, disabilities of some sort, and and they couldn't leave the house. And now they have access to this uh, industry from their, the comfort of their home and, and they're highly educated and they bring a level of experience and talent that we haven't had access to before and in, in the, on the brick and mortar front. So, so it's a very, uh, uh, con- uh I guess, uh, uh, good question, but also the answer to it is different. Whether you look at the offshore market versus the onshore market, if that makes sense.
0: Right. Right. You, you absolutely can't paint the contact center work for a broad brush.
1: No, I have, I have, uh, doctors, nurses, bankers in the offshore market that are coming in. They prefer to put the headset on and take calls and, and, what is supposed to be a stepping stone or first job onshore um, is, is actually a job for the experienced in the offshore markets because it pays mm-hmm. better than their local banks or, or their local hospitals being a nurse or et cetera. Right?
0: One of the things that I think about often and, and Balto and, and I are, are truly passionate about is the ability to upskill uh, people at large and to be able to have a, a huge population of people that you're helping elevate both their skills and talents and their economic outcomes and what they're able to do for their families. When, when you at StarTech have um, such a broad range of different types of workforces, how do you make sure that you're taking care of all of your 40,000 plus employees when their needs are are so different, even just depending on on their geographic location.
1: I think um, I, I I love the question, and I always uh, I will use a, a phrase that I always use internally, and the team uh, always hear me saying, "You gotta think global but act local." <laughs> and uh, and uh, there is a way of putting a global strategy, a global vision, and a, a global. Uh, objective that everybody can uh, rally behind, but it's important to execute on that vision locally. Um, And it is very important to maintain, retain, uh, uh, and be sensible to cultures in local markets, uh, leverage local talent, uh, execute on that vision through local methodologies. So yes, you can have an overarching global vision, but I think where companies, at times, I feel, have opportunities where they uh, use a cookie cutter approach and and uh, create a global vision, but also wants to deploy it with a global tactics. And uh, you can't do that at times because you got to be sensitive, to, sensible to uh, certain markets. You got to be sensitive to and sensible to um, certain ways of doing business. What's acceptable. Uh, on the east side of the globe may not be fully acceptable and uh, adopted on the west side of the globe so you got to be able to separate these and approach the vision maybe slightly differently you still get to the same place but do it while embracing local talent local cultures and local way ways of doing business so back to your question i am very cognizant of that when i look at mm. my 40, 45,000 employees across the globe. And the best way to engage them and the best way to ensure that they're all bought into the strategy and to the vision is to be sensible to uh, the how to locally. So yes, we have a global theme, but the how to execute on that global theme varies from one country to the other. And, uh, And we're very cognizant of that here at StarTech. Um, and then you lay on top of that technologies today on uh, platforms and how to engage similar to how we're engaging right now through Zoom and there, there's Slack, there's Microsoft Teams, et cetera, et cetera. So various platforms today that allows you to uh, stay connected and it makes the world uh, flatter and flatter when it comes to an organization like ours um, and when it comes to engaging and communicating across uh, our entire uh, agent populations or employee populations.
0: Right what does that local execution look like on a very detailed level? What's something that you might be doing different um, for a contact center in Lima versus, you know, one in Jamaica?
1: Um, that's, that's very interesting. Look, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of a um, couple things that may, may start differently in one country and then, be adopted in another country. So uh, let, let's talk about um, corporate social responsibility. Uh, we tend to have a, a, a sense of appreciation and a uh, uh, understanding and value for um, uh, helping others and giving and and uh, and contributing to charities, etc. And we say we, we give where we live um, at Startech and where where we are. In, uh, located uh, these are things where uh, you go out and whether uh, you're on a uh, think uh, of a campus we have in Myrtle Beach so if the team goes out and clean the beaches uh, and contribute into clean clean beaches in the communities where we live uh, we track these hours we pride ourselves with uh, how much we gave back to um, the community etc these are concepts that aren't necessarily uh, a top priority in some parts of the world. And simply because um, some parts of the world aren't as fortunate and they don't have as much access as uh, we do uh, in the West. Um, These are things that uh, we believe there's a symbiotic relationship between giving and providing customer support because it builds the sense of belonging. It builds the sense of, Um, helping, and it builds a sense of contributing to the greater good. Uh, And there's that relationship between doing that in the outside world and your Mm -hmm. community and going back, putting a headset on, actually helping someone. Uh, And and that concept uh, expanded further uh, into other countries where we operate in uh, that perhaps did not have that in the forefront. So sometimes there are some tactics at the detailed level, like you asked, that starts in one country that could be embraced in other countries. And and, uh, in other areas, some will remain locally uh, to where they belong. So I'll give you an example of holidays. Um, Just again, uh, Christmas may be a very big, meaningful, uh, uh, impactful holiday in Central America or uh, in certain parts of the world, but may not be in other parts of the world where we operate in, um, you've got to be sensible to that. And you have to, uh, that could be part of engaging with the employees. That could be part of um, motivating the workforce. Uh, and other other parts of the world may look at this as just a simple holiday. Uh, it has nothing to do with the performance of the employees. Meanwhile, in countries where Christmas is extremely valued as a holiday and the uh, providing a certain celebration during Christmas holidays for these employees will end up impacting us as an organization positively when it comes down to performance. Because they Mm -hmm. had fun over Christmas, because they felt we engaged with them, because they felt that we valued what they value, um, then the morale is high and you come in and you perform. Uh, If you take that concept and try to apply it in a country where Christmas doesn't mean much, uh, um, it, it almost becomes an annoyance for them, vice versa. So there are things where you can leverage, I believe, in some parts of the world uh, and we'll learn from each other. And there are things that you need to keep local, uh, locally. So hence why, again, think globally and act locally.
0: That, that's exactly what I was just hearing. Um, it, it sounds like in some instances, you can port different practices or behaviors or different parts of your cultural responsibility mentality from one location to another, from one country to another. And in some instances, uh, you can't, and you have to make sure that you're adapting the organization to the local preferences and what's happening locally.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and look, it's fascinating. And it's uh, um, you can't people often you hear separate your personal life from your work life. Uh, yeah, that's that's fine. But uh, frankly, it's it's uh, there are habits uh, and behaviors that you have in your personal life that will impact your morale and your uh, 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 overall demeanor at work. So I believe both are interlinked, and it's important as a as an organization to be cognizant of that when it comes to our staff and and deploy transformational strategies that are beyond the the walls of the office that. Uh, And keep in mind that decisions that we make in the office will impact employees personal life and decisions that we could make and impact outside of the office will impact our employees within the walls of the office. And I think this is this is what I like to keep in mind as we operate. And uh, it's a challenge, but it's it's a fun challenge and it's very rewarding when you see it working uh, eventually.
0: Let's talk about that. You know, what are the opportunities for personal development in the contact center space?
1: Um, from, from my look at, at a, uh, it's it's a very fulfilling job. This is a, an industry where you can get into this industry without a college degree, or uh, you could have a, the requirements to be on the phones, could be as, uh, as simple as a high school uh, diploma. But then the tribal knowledge that you acquire throughout the years um, are fascinating because what you are doing as an employee um, in the, in the, on the front lines, you're actually dealing with a very, very complex situations. And we call that the uh, the science of dialogue at, at StarTech. Uh, and that is a very complicated uh, science, not as easy as, as people think. Uh, to be able to talk uh, with hundreds and engage with hundreds of customers uh, from different sides of the world, different side of the country, uh, with and different moods. You can't guarantee every time every customer coming to you uh, happy, uh, or you, you have anywhere on all the spectrum from happy customers to um, uh, customers that are not in the mood of talking at all, or frustrated customers, or customers that are abrasive at some point, sometimes. and to be able to be a chameleon and and win over every single situation and every single interaction and still come up with, manage to come up with a high net promoter score for the brand that you are servicing. That is very complex. Hmm. Um, imagine you talking to your brother or to your sister or to your wife or to your kid. Even with that situation, you have to make an effort to ensure that your message comes across Accurately, properly, you don't offend anybody, you actually help them to resolve a problem that they're trying to resolve or make them understand the subject that you're trying to explain. You make an effort in these particular situations. So imagine the effort that you have to make uh, through the phone without seeing someone and a stranger that you've never talked to before uh, and still manage to for them to have a memorable experience with you because that's what we're after at the end of the day creating a memorable experience on every interaction that we manage. So very complicated situation. And if you can manage through that and master the science of dialogue, then it gives you the opportunity to go teach it to newcomers hmm. once you are tenured. And then you're, now you're entering into a mentorship stage. And as you teach it more and more and more for a few months or, 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 or years, then the mentorship becomes it gets elevated further to a management skill set. And then from a management skill set, you get you, you master that, and then you can elevate it further to a more strategic leader uh, stage. And then you can branch into finance. You can branch into IT. You branch into human resources. So the opportunities are immense uh, in, in, in this industry.
0: I love that concept of the, the science of dialogue, because by calling it a science, you're implying that... You can break it down and understand it and replicate it and teach it. And I think that one of the things that sometimes you hear um, erroneously is that you can't train it, you can't teach it. You know, you either understand people or you don't. And you got to you know hire agents who understand people and that's that. And if they don't understand people, out the door. Um, but it sounds like you guys have a, a mentality of you know, breaking it down and being able to teach it, you know, what does your process look like to do that? Uh,
1: it's a, uh, it's understanding uh, first and foremost, um, uh, what I call the MOTs or the moment of truth. Every dialogue, every conversation has a certain moment of truth that individuals and or, or, or Individuals that are engaging in that dialogue have to be able to capture. And it's not easy. When you train your brain on capturing these moments of truth, then you start acting on them. Um, um, and, and we teach certain habits that I personally believe go beyond the call center. They help us as individuals to be better communicators at home, better communicators outside in, in real life. Um, and these are things as Um, communicate optimism. Well, it sounds easy, but let's take a step back and think, how do you communicate optimism? How do you, you we teach employees and mentor them on having a smile in their voice. Well, that's as abstract as it gets. How could you have a smile in your voice? But then you train someone on it. And then you train them on when to capture that moment of truth that requires you to now have a smile on your face. That requires you to uh, exhibit optimism. In the conversation Um, requires you to realize that I may not be allowing my audience or my, my caller to talk or engage further and they may be in a need to actually be heard right now. So I need to exhibit the habit of listening, which is extremely impactful, not only because I am valuing what my audience have to say, so that, and not only I'm recognizing that they need to be heard at this point because they're frustrated with a certain situation, but it also helps me to better understand the problem or the opportunity so I can resolve it accurately within a, an efficient time. Because you could be the most friendly employee uh, uh, in the organization, but if you can't control the time with the caller, that can be a detractor also because callers sometimes wants to uh, get their problem resolved and move on so so it's important to apply certain habits that would um, that we train on and um, and and know when to apply them and I, I call these these moment of truth that needs to be captured and uh, you know um, engage appropriately based on what we train on and that's there's a whole science of dialogue we train our leadership we train our agents and uh, and and We have a science lab that actually takes different calls and different interactions. We study them in a controlled environment as well. we identify and test different communication behaviors. Uh, And out of those tests uh, or these tests, we actually create processes and tools that positively impact the customer experience overall. So uh, we're very proud of that. And and I believe uh, it makes an impact um, not only on on the customer experience in general, but also on the agent experience, because it's important that the employee also feel comfortable and confident interacting with the callers. And that has a positive um, outcome on uh, attrition and uh, greater retention overall. Mm -hmm. One
0: of the things I think that can be so tough is, um, and one of the things that I think leads to people either really enjoying their work or not enjoying their work is you know, a sense of agency, a sense of feeling like they're in control. And I think that's one of the things that's so hard about listening is when you're listening, you often don't feel like you're in control because the other person's talking and they're saying whatever they want to say, and you're just sitting there being quiet, uh, taking it in. And um, I think that it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of practice and a lot of retooling how you think about that to view listening as you still having control over that situation.
1: You know Mark, That's, that's very true. And, and uh, not to, um, not that you asked me uh, to, to advertise your product, but I'd be remiss if I don't. And, and, and you know, the reason why I'm passionate about Balto it's exactly because exactly that, uh, what we struggle with um, in our industry is because it's a high churn industry at least in the domestic market we touched on the fact that it's a stepping stone to something else later in life you end up teaching and training that science of dialogue you teach and train the habits but then you lose that uh, knowledge and the tribal knowledge when someone leave and then you have to do it again and again and again what I what I am most intrigued with the Balto software. And um, what I like about it the most is the fact that it brings a level of human augmentation um, that will help stabilize the volatility um, uh, that we get impacted by through attrition. And, and when you bring a software that can detect these moment of truth through an AI and help and guide and remind uh, an, an employee under stressful situations of what to say and how to say things and, and tip them in real time um, on, on ho- how to answer or, or adjust or fine tune some of the answers, then you're actually uh, mitigating um, what I call the speed to proficiency. Because when you have a level of churn and you bring someone new and by the time they're proficient and tenure, Um, and they're gone, then you have not benefited from that science of dialogue that we trained on because they weren't tenured enough. They weren't proficient on what we trained them on enough. But if you have someone like the Balto software uh, closing these gaps and mitigating that uh, 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 level of tenure, even if someone is not tenured, by, by getting tipped on what they have to say and how to pivot in the conversation real time, you almost help an agent seem like they're tenured, even if they're not yet. And, and that's the power of what the software brings to bear when it comes to our industry. And uh, and again, and I, I, I'm very excited and fascinated about uh, the product itself because of that, uh, because the uh, breaking the barriers of uh, non-tenured agents and making them provide an experience as an experienced tenured employee.
0: Right. Right. Well, first of all, thank you. Um, and then that was
1: unsolicited. This is someone who's very passionate about what Mark created. So and it's well deserved.
0: Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I think people forget is they they look at their tenured agents and they say, Well, they've learned it. They're good. You know, they they learn the things they need to learn. They're all ramped, so don't need any coaching or training or anything like that. And I think that one of the things people forget is you know, there's actually been a whole series of studies done. And you may have, have seen them or read them at some point, Mario, about um, rates of human error under stress. And uh, I remember one of the examples is, you know if you're in a true emergency, like a uh, car crash or something terrible like that, um, and you have to execute on some sort of task, the rate of error um, is as high as 90%. Of, of making some mistake on that task. And then you can walk back all the different levels of stress that you may be experiencing. Um, and if you were um, you know, late uh, for um, a meeting or late to, to do something, uh, there's a level of stress that you have there and the chance that you make some sort of mistake goes up. Um, all the way down to simply uh, punching in all 10 numbers on a telephone. Uh, if just unsolicited, without stress, I believe it's about a 0.1% error rate uh, that someone says, type these 10 numbers in on the phone that you make a mistake on one of them. Actually, 0.1 sounds low now that I think of it. Um, but then you have you know all these tenured agents in the contact center environment and every single day, at least once or twice or a couple of times, they're going to get stressed and they're going to have something that's like very difficult to deal with. And I think that that's where training is the most important in, in those moments because uh, in the low stress situations, it's easy to just you know do the stuff that, that you, you've always done. But in the high stress moments, that's where you really have to rely on your habits and rely on your training uh, to combat some of those fight or flight instincts that uh, absolutely come out on the phone, especially with frustrated callers.
1: You know, Mark, I can't agree with that more. And, and I would even take it further to even tenured agents. And and um, at times, even if you have a great, by the way, the whole touching on the curriculum and, and training well, not only training for me is a, is a very complex environment by itself. You, you have to rely on awesome facilitation so you can convey the message uh, um, in a way that it's retainable. Um, and also, you have to have the material that's comprehensive in place. That's where I, at times I feel you got awesome facilitators, but you have weak curriculums and that, that that doesn't fit as a complete equation for you to have a successful training. And, and conversely, at times you have a fantastic company, a very comprehensive curriculum, but a weak facilitator. And that also doesn't fulfill the equation for you to be successful. So you gotta have both. Um, And of course, Even that takes me further to touch on. I would add another element to the equation. You need a a facilitator, a curriculum, and a profile. You've got to have Mm -hmm. the profile of of an agent that is well screened to be fit for that particular job. And it has to come natural to them. You can't, and today we're using various platforms through lots of insights and analytics to measure. the employee and and candidate capabilities and personalities prior to be placed on a certain campaign, on a certain project, uh, because ultimately you want them to be natural at what they're doing. If it's a sales campaign, yeah, you can train probably anybody on how to sell, but is it natural to them? Are they in their natural element? Because that's where you thrive when you're in your natural element.
0: Great point.
1: Uh, Right? Now, can you, can that profile May, may be, they may be very successful in sales. Can they sit in a technical support line of business or, or project? Um, so they may not be fit for that. And and I think the industry evolved a lot. Now we can screen that on the onset before you get to the tra- training group. Because if I have to monetize it, it's important for me. Because I don't want to invest for six to eight weeks of training in someone that ends up not being natural at what they do. It's not intrinsic in them. And then you end up losing them. So the equation is profile curriculum facilitator. You gotta have these three to have an awesome training environment. And that said, you still end up with bad habits. It's like driving. When you're driving you you're you're both hands on the steering wheel, you got this whole 10 1015 10, uh, kind of, they tell you put your hands parallel on it in a kind of 10 10 o'clock, 15 minutes, and then three, four years into driving, now you're driving with one hand, perhaps maybe a couple fingers at the bottom of the steering wheel, and you're barely uh, uh, able to control the car. And just because you feel so comfortable, these are bad habits. If you ski, you know that you pick up bad habits eventually uh, as a skier. And tenured agents pick up bad habits, even if it was a great training. So training is important but I truly go back to human augmentation in the production floor mm-hmm. to break bad habits. So I'll stop right here, but I think it's a journey and it has to be triangulated not only from training, but also in technology to, to keep, keep those controls that are essential in uh, reducing the, uh, the stress level of the agent and increasing the customer experience in general.
0: Mm-hmm. It Fundamentally there's this pairing between having people in their natural state doing things that they're um, naturally inclined to be good at with them being equipped with the right skills to do that well. And I can only imagine at StarTech scale with 45,000 uh, employees, if 1% of those folks are not natural, they're just, I'm just, I'm forcing it. I'm doing my best, but it's just, uh, this ain't me. Um, that's, freaking you know 450 people so um so i imagine that at at your scale you have to get really really precise in how you're measuring things like fittedness to the role and um ability to execute and effectiveness of the training that that you guys are putting forth
1: absolutely and look it's the impact on lives too this is why um I am very passionate of what I do and what we do in the industry because it has a greater purpose. I mean, if you're on a healthcare client trying to help someone buy a, an insurance policy, a healthcare insurance policy, that's a that's a, a significant life decision that clients are making. And uh, it's incumbent upon the agent or the employee or the, uh, the advisor to actually be very knowledgeable. Um uh, give the best advice possible um, for, for uh, the patient or the client. Uh, so, so you're impacting lives in these decisions that you're making. At times, someone, imagine, Mark, you have a major pitch in, uh, in front of a major client and major brand that you're trying to win, and you set up everything, and um, you're relying on a dongle that gets you Wi-Fi through one of the MSO carriers, uh, or the high-speed internet carriers, and, and all of a sudden it's down. And you're calling in and you say, look, I got five minutes. I need this thing to be out. Uh, Otherwise, my client won't even entertain the meeting anymore. And we waited two years to get this meeting. So sometimes these are life-changing decisions uh, or or impactful events. Uh, You you see a wide array of different situations with different callers coming in. And you got to be ready as an agent all the time to provide that memorable experience at all times.
0: Mm -hmm. And especially in that, Healthcare insurance space. You know, if you're an agent and you're, uh, you know, a sales agent selling healthcare insurance policies, um, you over the course of your career may sell hundreds of policies, and uh-huh. if you have hundreds of people enrolled, there's going to be a few people that are going to need to rely on that policy at least, probably most of us in, in some way, shape, or form. Right. But there's a few people who are, it's going to be pretty mission critical to their lives. That they have the right policy for them, and that's that's an experience that you really get in the contact center space when you're touching so many uh, individual conversations and individual decisions and individual lives. Um, to be able to know that you know if you've been you know in seat for six months or nine months or a year, you've probably done something really meaningful for someone out there.
1: Uh, Mark, this is very true. I talk to executives in the marketplace all the time and uh, on the OEM side, and uh, you hear often um, um, product uh, executives saying, I can enhance the product as this is not like 20, 30 years ago where you probably would be able to get away with an awesome product um, and do well as an organization increase your profits, increase your revenues, increase your wallet share on the mar- in the market. Not today anymore. The consumers became, the consumer became savvy. The consumer have options and they can get all these options and all these comparative uh, models on their fingertip on their smartphone. Uh, the access is um, ubiqu- ubiquitous and the access is unprecedented. We, we have fastest access to the largest content ever in history. And you could be talking to me right now, proposing a product, and I can instantaneously look it up and look up the 20 other competitors and do a comparative chart on uh, why your product is better or worse than others. Um, Because of that, it is no longer about just the product. You cannot afford to simply have a product anymore that works. It has to be coupled with the experience. Uh, And if you look at us as consumers, oftentimes you – End up buying one product versus the other because you're thinking of the experience, um, the experience with the product, and also the experience with the with the customer care and support beyond uh, purchasing the product throughout the life of that product that you may want to have. Uh, there are, um, you know, um, folks that would buy Apple only because they believe in the in the experience. Uh, folks that will go with Android because uh, perhaps the Android experience is uh, more appealing to them than Apple, but it's all about the experience and how you can enhance the experience and make it memorable. Um, it's, uh, the, the product and the brands and the experience with the brand is becoming very sensational um, mm. and it means a lot to consumers these days because they are interacting and dependent, dependent on that product a lot. Um, so that's, uh, that's why I think it goes back to what you guys are doing, what we are doing, uh, combined together, uh, we, we play a critical role today in brands and organizations as they evolve because they're going after experience first. That The product is becoming table stakes at this point.
0: What do you think the contact center experience of 2030 is going to look like?
1: Oh, wait! it's – look, it's uh, – uh, I, I always uh, – I'll use an industry term that I always refer to, which is shift, shift left. And, um, and, and um, if you think of it on a, on a, on, on a spectrum, left being your .com website and far right being the agent. I think the industry and in between you have, if we reverse engineer it from right to left agent to.com, you have the agent, you have the, the voice agent, you have, Towards the left a little bit, you got the chat agent, towards the left a little bit, you got the IVR where things can be solved over the phone. Take it over to the left a little bit more, you've got social media, take it left a little bit more, you've got the dot-com the channel. So the point here is the, f- the more you the more f- the environment is frictionless, the more it's instantaneous the more it's geared towards self-serve, which drives a frictionless experience, the more memorable and the more uh, 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 efficient and effective that experience is. Now, the industry is shifting left pretty fast. There's, I would say 99.9% of the contacts required a voice interaction 15 years ago. Uh, Now you're probably seeing 40 to 50% of the interactions requiring a voice experience. Uh, Chat channel is increasing more than ever. Um, Social media channel support is increasing more than ever. And um, uh, I would say even social media has taken over the dot-com channel because why even bothering going to the website and searching yourself if you can just throw a question up in the digital realm and you get 40,000 answers um, uh, uh, and different opinions and, and guidance. So that said, I don't believe in the next five years, you gave me, uh, that's a pretty complex 10 years is, 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 a, is, is a difficult one. Let's, let's do five and then we'll try to tackle the 10. In the next five years at least, I believe human augmentation will be key. You need a hybrid between digital solutions and human attraction. I don't believe the human attraction is ready to go away yet. Perhaps in 10 years, you will still have some level of human interaction, but not as much as today, not as much as five years from now. But I have a hard time convincing myself or believing that in 10 years, there will no longer be a human interaction period. We are... Uh, social animals. At the end of the day, we uh, we we're a species of, of of interactions. We like to. We thrive on interactions. We thrive on questioning opinions. I think um, emotions are important in certain conversations, especially if you're uh, purchasing a a life insurance policy, especially if you are uh, uh, purchasing a or, or, or negotiating a healthcare bill. Uh, Emotions are important. I want someone to hear me out. I would like someone to truly understand why I cannot afford to pay that bill today. Uh, I'd like to share a life experience backing up my argument as to why this is important for me. And I don't believe any AI in the world today is capable of truly interacting and understanding that level of emotions, um, complicated emotions coming out of a human. Therefore, I feel even in 10 years from now, uh, it will not be a, a, a human-less experience uh, ever. Uh, we'll, you'll still see the human element, but I believe the shift to left would have made a huge uh, progress and uh, it will be that bar would be pretty close to the left.
0: Mario, this has been awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate it.
1: Great. Well, thanks. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, Great pleasure uh, to be with you guys. And I wish you all the best. And I'll keep uh, watching here on the sidelines of uh, what you guys are doing. Good luck.
0: You too. Gonna have to have you on again.
1: Thanks. Take care. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: See you.